for everything oh, for everything indie for everything cults it's the blue horseshoe now. now here's your host george bremer and ryan hickey and welcome into another edition of the blue horseshoe podcast ryan hickey and george bremer here with you it is raiders week it is I guess, George, can we call it revenge week as the Colts do face Joshua Gamas as a head coach for the first time uh, since the infamous uh, left at the altar incident back in 2018? So, yeah, what the hell? We'll call it. There's not enough storylines for this game anyway, George. So, why not add a little revenge to it, you know? Why not, right? A revenge <laughs> game with Joshua Daniels and a revenge game from uh, last season in, in week 17, sure. uh, the, the loss that, that started this entire tailspin for this team. I mean, you win that game last year. Who knows? We might be having a, a completely different conversation right now. So, uh, yeah, lots of revenge going on and uh, lots of unknown, right? That's what we're here for. Lots of revenge, lots of unknown, lots of storylines. We'll break it all down for you in this episode. Of course, if you get set for Raiders Colts on Sunday, Jeff Satter make his coaching debut. We'll kind of talk about what to expect for that in a second, but also we'll give you a Raiders perspective. Scott's go, uh, Scott Goldbranson of Silver and Black today will join us uh, later on in the show to kind of preview what the hell is going on in Las Vegas because, boy, oh, boy, they have a lot of issues. For all the issues the Colts have there, George, Raiders as well have a ton of issues to figure out as well. And, of course, we gave you our game picks. And not to brag, George, we are on a two-game winning streak. Now, coincidentally, we both picked against, or unfortunately, I guess, is the right word to say, if you want wins, we picked against the Colts two weeks in a row. We are two for two. Try to go three for three this week. Hey, we're on a roll. We, we've got momentum, you know, it's this is the time of year. You got to get hot, get ready for the playoffs. So, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're heading in the right direction. Did I get enough coaching cliches in there? Yeah. <laughs> Sound like Jeff Sauter himself. Hey, hey maybe if, if Jim Mercy is listening and things don't go well, you could finish out the season, George, in a few weeks. Hey, yeah, I'm always ready to take that paycheck. I'll tell you that. I'm not going to, I, I'm not even going to say that I might not be good or I might, I might be bad. I know I'll be <laughs> awful, but I will, I can cash a check. I feel like I can do that. That's that's the one thing you are good at going to the bank and saying, please direct deposit this right into the uh, checking mm-hmm. account. Thank you very much. Uh, so we've talked obviously, uh, George, a ton about Jeff Saturday this week from the press, co- from the initial news, he was being hired to reaction to the press conference. So now let's actually talk about football when it comes to Jeff Saturday, what kind of head coach he's going to be. Jim Ursay in his press conference on Monday, introducing Jeff Saturday mentioned that he is glad Jeff, uh, Jeff Saturday's no coaching experience because he didn't want him basically to coach scared like a lot of other coaches do in the NFL. Then Jeff Saturday on Wednesday said basically he's not going to be as aggressive as Frank Reich when it's fourth down, you know, and you're in field goal territory. He's going to take the points. He's going to take the three instead of kind of going for maybe going for the for the seven and the touchdown. So expectation wise, George, what do you kind of think we'll see from Jeff Saturday on Sunday? And when it comes to coaching style and kind of what he'll bring kind of to this Colts team. Yeah, you know, we don't have a lot to go on, obviously, only his words right now. And, and he's going to try to hide as much as he can because, you know, it's in his best interest. He's not going to come out and tell us, here's the game playing and and neither sparks Frazier. Uh, you know, that's not going to help anybody quite clearly. But I think if you look at his background and, and you pair that with what we've heard from him, what you would expect from an offensive lineman. I mean, what do they want to do? They want to run the ball. They want to lean on the defense. They want to establish their dominance. I think that's what you're going to see. You know, I, I think that's what he wants to do. Uh, and I think, honestly, that's when this football team's been at their best the last five years. You want to go back and, and, and look at when this team was rolling. It's when they were able to go out there and enforce their will on the opposition. The question is, do they have the personnel to do that anymore? You know, we talked about it uh, pretty much all year long. We lost a couple of really good guards uh, in the offseason. For all Eric Fisher's faults, he was a pretty good run blocker out there most of the year till the end of the year. 
Uh, you lost Jack Doyle, who Frank Reich said was the best blocking tight end in the league. And you lost Zach Pascal, who all say might be the best blocking wide receiver in the league. Uh, you know, it's a, it's an awful lot for that running game to make up for. Uh, but I think that's what they're going to lean on. And Parks Frazier, I think, kind of went along those same lines. He was very careful not to give away too many hints. But I asked him specifically, you know, do you know what's gone wrong in the running game? Do you have ideas for how to fix it? And he said, yeah, I've got ideas, but I'm not going to share them. But he also said, you know, we need to turn it around, and that's the goal on, on Sunday. So I, I think all indications are it's going to be run the ball, play good defense, get some plays in special teams. That's the formula moving forward. I think it's going to be tough, especially this week specifically, to truly kind of see Jeff Saturday's handprints all over the team just because, again, it's he's so new. He's just still trying to – learn names, let alone, you know, get schemes and everything else. So I think the one tangible area or really two tangible areas we'll see on Sunday, especially is kind of what you mentioned. I think the run game, I think as a former offensive lineman, and as really as someone who kind of realizes Sam Ellinger right now in the two games, they try to throw the ball, especially a lot, especially you kind of saw in New England, did not go very well, uh, go very well whatsoever. So I don't think this is going to be a game where we're going to see Sam Ellinger throwing the ball 45 times or per se, or kind of lean on the, on the pass game. I do think you're right. I do think even with right now, whether Jonathan Taylor plays or not, kind of the influx at running back that is with all the injuries that have piled up in the position, I do think we will see a more run-heavy uh, run team from this Colts offense than we've really seen really at any point so far this season. I think the other thing to hit on it is conservative nature. Not, you know, I think anytime it's fourth and short, I still think he'll opt for the field goal over, you know, uh, over going for it and maybe scoring a touchdown. Or maybe if it's, you know, close to midfield, you still punt instead of going for it. Like, I do think we'll get more of a little bit conservative nature than, again, Frank Reich, who was a gambler, was more of an the aggressive type that's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And those are the two areas, George, we'll definitely see the most. Week one, especially, when he mentioned before, I like the quote that he is, uh, Jeff Sider said he's drinking water from a fire hose right now. What it kind of felt like when he's just trying to scramble and catch up. I think that's that's really kind of kind of what we'll see so far. More emphasis on the run game. We'll see how, how that really goes. And then definitely a more conservative nature when it comes to taking points when they're there. Yeah, and I th and we talked on the midweek pod about it's going to be tough for them all year to really put much of an imprint on here. You're not going to come right. in and change the offense to a completely new system. And you're not going to come in and change the defense. You know, they're not going to suddenly become a three-four defensive team. You know what I mean? Like, th there's only so much that can be done in week ten to begin with. But I think one of the things that he talked about, and one area that we probably will see impact in, uh, but it's intangible. So it's going to be interesting to see how it works. He said, "Look, I've got I've got to come in here and be a leader." I've got to I've got to put these coaches in the best situation and let them put the players in the best situation. You know, I think one of the biggest things that he's done already is is kind of cut through the chaos a little bit. You know, I think that was job number one. You had Monday was a circus atmosphere around here. Tuesday, it just fed on itself. You know how it is in these 24 hour news cycles right now. When you put something bad out there like that press conference on Monday, it was 24 hours Tuesday of just replaying that, you know, late night style jokes. Uh, it, it was a very negative atmosphere uh, anywhere you turned. And I think on Wednesday, Saturday did a good job of coming into the room and being the adult in the room. And, and like I said, they were missing Frank Reich on Monday. I think Saturday did a good job of, of kind of filling in for Reich in that regard. He came in and he, he kind of, look, there's a plan. We're not throwing in the towel. We're, it's us against the world. I've, I've told the guys this. We're going to put them in the right situations we're going to go and give it our best shot and it might work and it might not, but it's not going to be for lack of effort. It's not going to be because of dysfunction or chaos or circus or anything else that got rightfully used the you know previous part of the week. Uh, but I think what was interesting about that 
you know, I asked Safa Gilmore to get to do the name dropping now, you know, in the locker room. <laughs> uh, I said, is that one of the salvations here that no matter what else is going on, one of the great things about football is you control what happens on the field. So everything else can go out there. I can say whatever I want to say. The national media can say whatever they want to say. Our podcast can, you know, feel however we want to feel. But ultimately, the players now, it's in their hands. You know, they're the ones that are going to go out there on Sunday and, and win or lose. And, and that's how everybody's judged in this league. And Gilmore said, yeah, you know, that's that's absolutely the case. And, and right now, they're in a situation where winning is, is, is the only thing that's going to get them out of this. You know, go out there and win on Sunday, and a lot of the conversation changes. And so I think that's a great thing about the league. Everybody can have their feeling, but, you know, there's a scoreboard, and, and at the end of the day, it's going to tell the story that matters. This week and this Sunday, how the team plays, forget about wins or, you know, win or loss, but I think just the effort they show is going to be really interesting to watch. You've been at practice this week, George. Is there a sense, because the Colts, to their credit, whether it's, Chris Bowden, in the, in the very short time he spoke on Monday, or Jeff Saturday, who's, like I said, especially Wednesday, really kind of wowed and kind of rallied, you know, at least the media in, in Indy kind of to show you, like, this guy, is, at least leadership-wise, you kind of started to see why Je uh, Jim Irsay brought him in for that leadership perspective. You kind of saw it a little bit on Wednesday. Do you get the sense, player-wise, that they are buying into Jeff Saturday and at least will play hard? Or do you kind of get the sense that, look, the season's over, we're 3-5-1, we've just been a laughing stock uh uh, across the nation for the last week. And this is kind of them just kind of going through the motions and throwing in the towel. Now, you know, I think Saturday came in and brought some energy. I think that same energy he had in his press conference sounds like he had the same energy in the, in the team meeting. The first time he got in front of the room, everybody, you know, from the players to Gus Bradley uh, that we talked with said he, he had a home run there. You know, it was better than you could probably have hoped for. Cause it was a really tough situation for him coming in uh, into that room and, and, and talking to these guys for the first time and, and everything that's going on. Uh, and he felt like, you know, he, he has a lot of credibility. It's one thing DeForest Buckner said. They know what he did as a player. He's been there. He understands the situation they're in. And I think one of the things he said that really resonated with the team was, you know, he loved Frank Reich too. And he's been sitting in their, their seats and he knows that there's a lot of guys who are hurting right now. And that's okay. You know, but the way now to, to go forward is to honor him and, and to play the way he wanted you to play and finish out the season the way he'd want you to finish out the season. I think for now that's helped them put a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I, I think the feeling in the locker room, especially Wednesday, was, look, everybody's written us off. I think Ryan Kelly said it flat out. Everybody's already written us off. We're not going to write ourselves off. We're going to go out there and prove you wrong. Um, as I said before about, you know, when, when Frank Reich was trying to say Sam Ellinger's, you know, elevation and, and Marcus Brady's fire, firing were, were nothing but indications that they were trying to make the playoffs, there's, there's a shelf life on this kind of thing. It's a right. great push. There's there's some juice now, but you got to go on Sunday and win. Or and I think the players, as much as they're energized, as much as they they like Jeff Saturday as a person, I think they can see his leadership. They're still waiting too because you don't know until you get out there in the fire. And and he has to make that fourth down call, or he has to try to figure out what's going wrong in the third quarter and and get things turned around. That's when this story is really going to be told. You're 100% right because it sounds good now. We have no, you know, it's kind of like training camp all over again, the preseason where it, the, the talking season sounds good. And you could talk yourself into this working. Oh, yeah, wow, the leadership is there. And, you know, he could command a team and command a locker room and guys will buy in. You're 100% right. Until the bullets are flying and, and the results are out there and it's a split decision, fourth down, you go or, or kick or, hey, you know, timeout wise, two minute drill, can you go for it or, or are you going to, you know, play conservative? 
it's that's really where guys like are they going to rally around the impressiveness of Jeff Saturday or start to tune him out or question him again? If you're making decisions that are head scratching, we kind of see it across like across the league. The thing happened with the Broncos. Anyway, he's obviously more involved because he's calling plays, but that guy lost a team within the first two weeks because they're looking at him like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And so you are right, like it sounds good now, but until you actually are, you know, having um, until actually the, the games are being played and you're seeing the decisions he's making. That is truly when we'll actually see whether whether or not uh, Jeff Saturday will, uh, you know, his voice will be heard and the team will kind of rally around him and almost use this week for all the circus, all the negativity surrounding them, use it as a chance. Again, if Jeff Saturday can, can channel this in a positive way to galvanize the group and kind of show some, you know, show some fight here down the stretch of the last eight games. Yeah. And, you know, and Shaquille Leonard, he was really kind of open today. About a lot of things, about the fact that he's not feeling like himself, that that you know his, his calves just aren't firing the way that he really wants them to yet, and, and it's a frustrating time because he's trying to get back to being who he is. Uh, when you're dealing with nerve issues like he was, it, it could happen overnight. He could wake up Sunday morning and suddenly it's good, or it could be you know something that never comes back. So, um, you know, one of the things that he was talking about in the midst of all this was, look, there's a lot of juice in this locker room right now. And, and a lot of guys bought in to, to what Jeff had to say, but that's not women's football games. Right. And, you know, we got to go out on Sunday and execute as players, and he's got to go out and execute with the coaching staff. And again, you know, going back to what I said earlier, that's the great thing about the NFL. Everybody has opinions, and, and everybody can talk in, in, in the week leading up to the game. But Andrew Luck used to call it the greatest merit, meritocracy going, you know, because you get what you earn on the field. And, and ultimately, I think that's the salvation for this team right now. You have a circus that's gone on for a week. You might have questions about decisions that were made. You might have questions about, you know, what's going to happen going forward. But for those three, three and a half hours on Sunday, you're in control. And Jeff Sider, not the only coach that's kind of making his debut in a new role. As we know, Parks Frazier will take over as offensive coordinator for the Colts and call plays for the first time in his career. And that's another thing where we will see George kind of, you know, the new style. He said he's similar to Frank Reich in one sense, but we'll kind of do what's best for the offense and what kind of caves to Sam Ellinger's strengths. It's interesting. Parks Frazier was a guy who worked directly and closest with Sam Ellinger so far this season. So we've been talking about it for three weeks. So I just think I'm kind of beating my head against the wall, but I'm going to go down this route and say it again here, George, for the third week in a row. I think this is the week we're actually going to see more rollouts, more design runs, and Sam Ellinger rolling out of the pocket more than right now we've seen the first two weeks. You kind of see a more college-style offense than the more pro style that's been running with Frank Reich in two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nobody on the staff who knows, theoretically, there's nobody on the staff who knows Sam better than Parks because he's been working with him since he came in, you know, since he was the number three guy. Uh, and in very closely, like you said, working with him. So I, I think that's probably a good thing for Sam, too. I, I look at him, and, and we've talked about Jeff Saturday being in a bad spot. We talked about that a lot on the, the midweek pod, you know, that, that he's the stack, the deck's kind of stacked against him because of the situation as it is. There, there isn't a lot that he can do. It's, it's not the normal situation a new head coach would come into. Uh, I think it's even worse for Sam Ellinger. I mean, how many guys we, we talk about all the time. You need consistency for a young quarterback. He needs to have one voice in his head. He's had three. This will be his third career start and his third offensive coordinator and his second head coach. I mean, we, we ripped teams for doing that over a four year period. Yeah. It's happened in three weeks for this young man. Uh, I think that's a really tough spot for him. Uh, but I do think, you know, if, if anyone's going to start to do the rollouts and, 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 you know, emphasize some of those 
things to try to give Sam a little bit more of an opportunity to, to express what he does the best. You would think it would be Parks. The other thing about Parks is I don't think a lot of people know who he is. Uh, quarterback at Murray State himself. So he's been there, not at this level, but he's played the position. And I think that helps. You know, he's been behind center. He's taken these hits. He understands what a quarterback wants to hear when they're out there on the field. He understands, you know, viewing it through through that lens. And, and I think that's going to be – I think those things should be a benefit to Sam Ellinger on Sunday. Absolutely. And like I said, especially now with so much going on, like the simple you can make things the better. I think that's honestly what this Colts team needs. Not that Frank Reich, I'm going to say, was complicating things too much or maybe, you know, having too vast of a playbook. But especially this week, I think stripping it down bare bones, George, and just kind of – limiting it to a certain amount of plays that the quarterback is really comfortable with. I think it's going to benefit everyone. When you have so many moving parts at head coach, offense coordinator, if you could just, the biggest thing right now is right is execution. I think that's a large part right now of why the Colts are where they are. They have failed to execute. They have failed to block. They failed to catch the ball, failed to throw the ball. If you can at least simplify everything around execution to make sure that at least these guys are just can run a play confidently as, as sad as it is at this point, nine games into the season, I think that that's the best strategy for this Colts team to have some sort of pulse or life on offense. Coming off of what I would argue, Georgia is probably their worst offensive output of the season. And I'd say something oh, yeah. they got shut out week two, and it was it was still ugly what we saw in New England uh, last week. Statistically, it's the worst output in twenty five years in terms of yards. I mean, it, it was really you know an epically bad showing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see now. Parks did mention one of his big goals is is to simplify things. He sounded a lot like Nick Sirianni. Zach Kiefer told him that in the middle of the press conference. He said, well, maybe I picked something up from him, you know, because obviously he worked closely with Nick too uh, while he was here. But I do think it, it you know, a couple of, of like sort of clerical things, because I know people are going to wonder, he is going to call plays from the booth. He said that today. He won't be down on the sideline. Uh, that's new because obviously Frank's been on the sideline calling him for the last um, four and a half years. So, you know, does that perspective change things? I don't know. We'll find out on Sunday. Uh, but the other thing with him, you know, it's a huge learning curve for him too. We're talking about Sam learning on the job and all the things that he has to deal with. And, and Jeff Saturday, literally learning on the fly without a preseason game. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times in, in NFL history, a head coach's literal debut was a regular season game in week 10, uh, you know, on the road. Uh, it, it, that's a lot for him as well. Parks is the same way. Uh, he hasn't called plays before in his career. The only time he's really been the play caller has been, he said, a few times in walkthroughs when they they split the squad and you were on two fields. He had one of the fields that he was handling. That's the the limit of his play calling experience right now. So uh, it's, it's, it's a really steep learning curve for arguably the three most important guys in the organization on Sunday. Two quick things here before we get to Scott here, George. Number one. It appears now, at least for Jonathan Taylor on Thursday, practicing for the second day in a row, that he at least is on track to play. Now, the Colts have had you know a lot of different influx and running back issues. You just signed, they signed James Funk to the practice squad, at least Philip Lindsay off of it. Can they, and I guess, you know, realistically, behind Jonathan Taylor, if he can play and is limited, or, you know, if he can, if he has a, you know, flare up and still can't play on Sunday, who is the guy right now for the Colts? Because you have both Deion Jackson and Philip Lindsay missing practice. Is it going to be possibly James Funk either as a one-two combo with John Taylor, maybe the guy? Uh, my guess right now would be Zach Moss, and and that's almost oh, that's, as, that's as scary right. of a situation uh, because you know last year they last week they didn't even think that he was up to speed enough to to activate him, uh, and he could potentially be the starter on Sunday depending on how things break. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see at the time that we're doing this pod right now. 
Uh, they haven't released the Thursday report yet, so I don't know if Taylor's full or limited. And, and in the past, uh, when he wasn't full at all during the week, he didn't play that week. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how things, you know, how the situation goes. Because as you mentioned, Deion Jackson didn't practice. Uh, Jordan Wilkins isn't practicing or wasn't at least on Wednesday. Um, so you're, you know, you're looking at probably best case scenario, Jonathan Taylor backed up by Zach Moss and, and James Funk. Um, and two of those guys have been here two weeks or less. So yeah. Yeah. Holy I mean, cow. I think there's a real look, the running game has not been good all year long. That's not, I'm not breaking news here. On, on the pod. <laughs> and it, it, it's a real dire kind of situation in my mind this week, because you know, Naeem Hines obviously isn't here anymore. He's in Buffalo. Deion Jackson does play. He's going to be limited. I mean, let's, he's got a knee injury. Right. I mean, you know, you saw a little bit of it in New England. It's it's definitely going to hamper him. And, you know, if, if Jordan Wilkins plays, yeah, he knows the playbook from before, but he's only been here for a couple of weeks, come, been back as well. And, and he's obviously banged up, which wouldn't surprise you. I mean, the guy came in uh, off the street and had to go play an NFL game. It's not shocking that he came out dinged up a little bit from that experience. So, uh, yeah, I think on top of everything else they're dealing with, look, if Jonathan Taylor does play, he's he's not going to be 100%. He hasn't been all year, and he's not going to be on Sunday. So the run game is is something they desperately need, and like so many other things, it, it's there's a lot of questions about what it's going to look like. And it's concerning because we just kind of talked about before, Sam Ellinger is not a guy you want to throw the ball 45 times. And especially to make Park's job easier in his first game ever as offense coordinator, if they could run the ball and have some sort of balance, his job as a play caller is going to be that much more simpler. Whereas if you're talking about limited bang, you know, we're talking about maybe a best case scenario, Jonathan Taylor playing, let's say most of the snaps or being on some sort of pitch count. You know, worst case, if he can't play and you're talking about, like you mentioned, Zach Moss or you know, James Funk even suiting up, you have guys that are unfamiliar with the offense and guys that are just off the street where that's not going to, you know, really present a, a, any sort of viable run game uh, right now, especially when the Raiders, one of their strengths, I mean, their they're secondary stinks, but they are pretty solid so far against the run. This might be a game where you, you have no choice but to throw the ball. And that's that's very concerning because that does not favor the Colts um, whatsoever in this game. It could make the offensive struggles that much, you know, just continue them another week, even though, like you mentioned, you change offensive coordinators, which, by the way, really quick, I want to circle back to that. That has to be a record, right, for Sam Ellinger. Three offensive coordinators in three weeks. I have never, can't remember the time I had any sort of situation like that remotely happening any, anywhere uh, near that. And it has to be some sort of record. So congrats to you, Sam, for for, for making history, I guess we'll say. I, I, I tell you, it's it's three been a, a welcome to the NFL moment for him every week. Uh, a brand new one. I will say this, as far as the run games goes, too, I think you, you probably will see more of the gimmicky type of things you saw against Washington uh, by necessity. If you've got right. you know a snap count for, for Jonathan Taylor and, and the other two guys you have have never had a carry for this team, uh, you know, get Paris Campbell involved in the run game a little bit again. Get Sam Ellinger involved in the run game in, in that college-style offense. I think it's another thing that leads towards maybe that idea, more rollouts and give him a chance to – to keep the ball a little more often because you're going to have to find ways to move the football on Sunday. Uh, and, and there aren't a lot of obvious ones coming to my mind right now. Last thing I want to ask you here, George, before we get to Scott is this, do the Colts have the coaching advantage or, or just maybe an overall advantage going to this game? I would argue. Yes. Just because with the NFL being such a, 
not even routine, but just like game plan specific venture where, hey, we know their tendencies. We know that they like to, they're predominantly run or predominantly pass or they spread you out or power run. You know, teams really need to know other teams' tendencies in order to kind of formulate a game plan. You are, you just are going in blind, George. Brand new head coach off the street. Offense coordinator who's never called plays before. You cannot have more of a mystery surrounding the Colts going to this game. And with the Raiders having their own problems with Josh McDaniels right now, I know they can't close 17-point lead, and the Colts probably won't get to 17 points. That's a whole other thing they got. They don't have to worry about, at least for one week. But there's so much mystery surrounding the Colts. I think it does kind of all the chaos around them. That does give them an advantage, at least early in the game here on Sunday. Yeah, I think you can make that case. Again, you got to execute, and I think that's what it comes down well, to. I mean, right. um, if, if they're going to give up nine sacks and, and run for whatever that was, three, two-something a carry in, in New England <laughs> – uh, then it doesn't probably matter much, uh, but that it'll be interesting to see. And I think the other side of that uh, is Gus Bradley, uh, who who was in Las Vegas last year and knows that personnel very well. So on one side, you've got you know no clue what the offense is going to do. On the other side, the Raiders know him; he knows them. Uh, it, it could be an interesting mix on on Sunday. Absolutely, for sure, it'd be. Very exciting. I guess we'll see to what to to see what this offense for the Colts does look like as Jeff Saturday gets ready for his NFL coaching debut for Odyssey. So Scott, welcome into Behind Enemy Lines. But I guess for this game especially, it's hard to consider the Raiders and the Colts enemies because when you look at the preseason thoughts and you look at so far the, the the brutal eight nine weeks of the season so far, the Colts and the Raiders are, are way too similar and definitely not in any good way for sure. Yeah, and I mean, we we talked about when we did in the preseason kind of our overview of what we thought the Raiders would do this season. This is one of those games that we looked at as, as that was going to be a tough one, right? That was going to be a tough one, even though it's at home for the Raiders, looking at that supposed great Colts offensive line, uh, having Matt Ryan there and thinking, well, Matt Ryan will refine that rhythm and all that jazz that he had down in Atlanta. And so it looked like on paper it was going to be uh, the battle between two playoff bound teams. And clearly as they meet up, uh, they have a, the Colts have a coach that hasn't coached uh, above high school and the Raiders uh, have almost nobody on the roster as they put two of their biggest players on IR uh, on, on Thursday. So it, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's a game of attrition as you guys know in the NFL. And so we'll have to see uh, which team on Sunday is able to get through their specific challenges and win the game. Yeah, you know, I, I think I know the answer to this one, but uh, there's been a lot of baffling responses here locally uh, to what's going on out there in Vegas. What's the view of, of the circus that, that, that's gone on this week in Indy? Well, it's interesting. So so I, th I think it's pretty similar to what you guys have seen uh, nationally. Um, I, I think in my I'll just give you my opinion, too. I talked about it on our show uh, for this morning, talking about how. I don't understand. Look, I, I get it. You know, it, as a Colts fan, I would be concerned. But at the same time, some of the outrage people seem to be outraged that he has no experience, and then other people are outraged at the hiring process. And there's a, obviously a racial tinge there as well with the Rooney Rule and all that stuff. Um, and I kind of like, you know, who would want the job right now unless you were already an assistant on the team uh, and and all of that? And will you have the ability to turn things around? and get the job permanently. I didn't know enough, and I don't think people know enough about it. I think the national media is too busy being outraged over one of those two things. Uh, and I loved Jeff's um, uh, diatribe, right, at the press conference. It was kind of interesting. It's like, hey, look, I don't know if I could do this, but I'm going to give it a try. So as you guys know, though, the NFL, is it's, it's 
it's a small cluster of people. And when somebody who's not rightfully due that spot gets a chance, I think that upsets the apple cart. And it makes Sunday's matchup so interesting, Scott, because on one hand, like you mentioned, the Colts right now are trotting out a head coach with zero experience. The guy in his press conference on Monday didn't even know, you know, anyone on the defense and didn't meet with the defensive staff yet. Didn't have a, a play caller at that time on Monday. So you talk about just going in almost blind to a situation where you got to call and be a head coach of a team in five days. So that's, you would think, a disadvantage for the Colts. But on the other side, too, this is a league of tendencies, right? This is a league where teams try to figure out what you do best and take it away. And there is zero clue what the Colts are going to do, how they're going to look. You have Parks Frazier calling plays for the first time. We obviously have no idea what Josh Saturday is as a head coach. Who has the advantage, I think, on Sunday? Is it the Colts because there's so much unknown? Or would you say it's still the Raiders because of all just the dismay and kind of circus-like atmosphere that George mentioned surrounding this Colts team this week? It's a, it's a great observation and question because and, – and they actually asked uh, Josh McDaniels about it yesterday at the, at the weekly press conference, a Wednesday press conference, uh, and he laughed with a, kind of a nervous laugh. Uh, and, you know, you watch enough coaches, <laughs> you watch enough coaches, and you know when somebody laughs nervously that you've kind of it, – maybe I'm being too Freudian here, but you, you definitely sense something is there. And I think you hit on it, which is you don't know what you're going to get. And the, in the NFL where you have all of the tape, all of the tendencies of all of the coaching and all the play calling, when you have all that, you, you prepare for a game. So that's a repeatable process, right? That's like doing laundry. You know exactly what you got to do and what step and you just do it. Um, now, though, you're dealing with exactly what you said is complete unknown. Somebody who's not called plays before with a head coach who doesn't, to your point, know the defense doesn't know what the game plan is until he walked in the door. So, so I, I think it benefits the Colts because I just don't know that the Raiders, who, by the way, are having significant, as you guys know, issues on defense, so much so that they even released one of their former first-round picks in Jonathan yeah. Abram at safety. Uh, the, you know, They are not exactly a defensive juggernaut. So um, the Colts, with the unknowns and the Raiders' defense struggling, uh, certainly have an advantage. Now, I know – uh, the, the Colts have some trouble up front. Uh, and so the Raiders with Max Crosby and a very disappointing Chandler Jones might have a chance to disrupt the game by getting in there and, and disrupting the game plan. But overall, yeah, I, I think the Colts have the advantage. I, I wonder, you know, on the other side of, the, of that coin, obviously Gus Bradley was there last year, was knows this offense, at least the guys that were there a year ago. He, he doesn't know everybody. Uh, there's been some significant changes, but they also know him. I mean, Derek Carr practiced against this scheme, I would imagine, all summer last year. Uh, he has to have a really good idea. I know uh, the way it works in this league, a lot of times the quarterback goes to the defense coordinator during the year and talks about, you know, what tendencies am I showing and, they work together. So, you know, how, who do you think has the advantage in, in that instance? Well, certainly anytime you have familiarity with a player and, and Gus Bradley, having been there last year in Las Vegas, he knows um, Derek Carr's tendencies. He knows his strengths, his weaknesses. And so he's going to work to exploit them. So I think that benefits them, but also Derek Carr knows the defensive scheme, right? So even though it's a, a blue and white helmet, instead of a silver and black one, uh, he knows what Gus Bradley likes to call. He's worked against it. He knows uh, the tendencies of the coach. So it, it's sort of a, uh, a two Rams going uh, at one another with the horns out uh, and who will get the best of the other. We'll have to see, but certainly the familiarity there adds a really unique aspect to this. And you, you do see it in the NFL from time to time, clearly with coaching trees and guys getting around and the same thing with players. Uh, but Derek Carr hasn't been playing well either. 
uh, this season uh, compared to last season. So it adds a little de- definitely a little uh, intrigue to it uh, to see if Gus Bradley tries to tries to exploit what he knows and rattle Carr even more than he's been rattled so far this season. Scott, we can't talk about this game any longer without talking about, you know, the, the the love lost between the Colts fans and Josh McDaniels, obviously facing him for the first time as a head coach since he did spurn the Colts uh, a few years ago. And I think I speak for a lot of Colts fans. I say that there's no love lost or not anyone is really upset to see him right now struggling at two and six of the Raiders. So with a team that had a lot of talent as a playoff team last year and so far is just severely underperforming. What have you seen from Josh McDaniels? How much blame do you think he deserves right now if there's two and six start and Again, there was questions about him coming off his Denver stint about a decade ago. How have you? How would you assess so far, halfway through his first year in Vegas, how he's doing? Um, well, I, I would say that he's not doing well, and I don't know that it's all his fault. And I do know a lot of Raider fans who listen to our show and contact me on social media. They really want to buy him plane tickets to Indianapolis because um, <laughs> they know how much you guys how much you guys wanted him, and they they're they're feeling like they'd like to give him to you. But no, I, I think, listen, I think he's made plenty of mistakes, especially early in the season with what he was doing with the offense. And I think you saw after uh, their, their loss to the Jaguars last week, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, both kind of called out that there was something going on there. And here's the reality of it is, I don't think it's a scheme issue. I don't think it's any of that. The locker room issues to me, based on what we've seen and what we've heard, has been really the fact that there doesn't seem to be um, – it doesn't seem to be clicking, right? So, so the coaching staff, the players, they all seem to say the right things and be aligned heading up to game day. But then you get to game day, and I'll use example of the first half of last week against the Jaguars. They go out to that 17-0 lead, the third one they've blown this season. Uh, and they do so on the arm of Derek Carr and the hands of Devontae Adams, right? He has nine catches for 146 yards and two touchdowns in the first half. And in the second half, uh, Josh – McDaniels completely changes the game call and starts running the ball and doing and going away from Devonte Adams. So, so the players are like, what are you doing here? Like we're torching them with this. And, and Devonte Adams is going to always be double teamed. Doesn't matter. He's that good. Uh, and, and so why would you go away from what was working? And I think that's what, even as an observer from the outside, we've seen is there's things that work and then they go away from them. There's been a lack of the ability here. And I think this has to be on coaching and, and of course the players have to execute on the field. There has been no cohesiveness. And what that has meant is the Raiders have not played full four quarters of football, not even full four quarters of losing football or winning football. They just haven't been able to do it. They come out, look great. One half look terrible. One half. They look great in the first quarter, bad in the second quarter, great in the third quarter and terrible in the fourth quarter. Like there's no, there's no consistency or rhyme or reason to it. And their offense, which had all of these weapons, has never seemed to fully get in sync for four quarters either. And so he's the offensive coordinator. He calls the plays. So you have to look towards him. Uh, but I can tell you this. I, there's no danger in my view, and Mark Davis, the owner, said this too. There's no danger Josh McDaniels going to be fired. I know a lot of people are talking about it because they started off so poorly. It's not going to happen. Um, the roster for the Raiders was much, much more hyped Uh, as being better than it was. It just was. And then Dave Ziegler, who I think did a great job in the draft, did not do a great job in free agent signings overall. Uh, And so that's hurt them too in the defense up the middle. So I think there's a lot of blame to go around, but of course the head coach, and of course the head coach with his background is going to get a lot of that heat. 
Uh, you know, last one for me, but one thing that, that I'm interested in, you know, a year ago, obviously a lot of adversity for the Raiders and they had the head coaching change, which is a completely different situation than the one here. But Rich Bisaccia comes in and he really seemed like the team rallied around him uh, and, and they were able to obviously become the first team with an interim head coach to go to the playoffs. The Colts right now are saying all the right things. You hear them talking about, you know, wanting to basically it's us against the world at this point that, uh, you know, everybody has written them off and and they're going to go and, and show everybody. What do you think was the key, though, last year to the Raiders being able to kind of put all the things that they were dealing with aside and, and, and have success with an interim head coach? You know, I, I think it came down to a conscious decision uh, by those guys in the locker room to stay together to not lose focus as much as they could, clearly. And it came down to leadership. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I've been critical of, at times uh, of Derek Carr, but he was an excellent leader last year, he really led that team, was a calm force, I think, throughout all of that. And then Rich Passaccia, I think, he, listen, he was the, the special teams coach, right? The special teams coach is a lot of times the coach that everybody loves. Like there's never, he's not, I mean, yeah, he might yell at guys, but he's not your offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, head coach. He's not going to get in your face all the time, all that kind of stuff. So I think those are the guys that that are well-liked on most NFL rosters. And he's a good man, right? He's been doing it for a long time. And I think as a temporary leader, meaning coming in and being able to keep them together and stay on track with what they had planned to do for last season, despite all of this stuff, it worked really well. So I think if Jeff Saturday can go in there and keep everybody focused and keep them together – and get them to believe in one another. It's not even believing in him as a coach, right? I think that's what we learned from the Raiders. It was to a man they believed in one another, uh, and that's what got them through it. And they they got by the skin of their teeth. They won out towards the end of the year, and they were able to make the playoffs. So so I I understand where Colts fans are with that because we heard from Raider fans last year the same thing. Oh, the season's over. Uh, but you never know. Uh, the power of a group of people, especially professional athletes, even those that might have a deficiency in certain positions – uh, to come together and do something good can happen. So I wouldn't give up on it, uh, but certainly it's not easy. Two quick questions for me, Scott, as you wrap up here behind enemy lines. Number one is, you know, we mentioned that the two and six uh, slow start for the Raiders, like you said, especially Josh McDaniels getting a lot of heat so far. One thing we've been talking about here in Indy, especially this week, is the players potentially kind of tuning the coach out. This is even before Frank Rock was fired and kind of having his message go dull with kind of the same thing happening each and every week. You see right now with the Raiders, whether it's just losing games or, you know, you mentioned before, they're blowing three different 17-point leads a season. Is there any concern from you seeing from players or even just kind of seeing the body language of Josh McDaniels that maybe they could start tuning him out if things don't turn around like pretty quickly? Yeah, that's an interesting question. We've, we've talked about it a lot. I think some fans seem to believe that it happened, but I don't see any indication yet that he's lost, quote unquote, lost the locker room. Uh, could it happen? Sure. I think that's where I say, you know, 95% chance there's no way he loses his job. But I always leave that 5% because if something like that happened, if things really went crazy and suddenly they're two and 12 um, and they lose a bunch of games in a row, who knows? But from what I've seen, no. And, 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 and even the beat reporters who have a little more inside access than I do seem to indicate that that has not happened and that there might be some frustration that things aren't working, but there is not any kind of wholesale mood around the fact that, Hey, we need to be rid of this guy, despite some of the rumors going around there. So we haven't seen that yet. If you do see that, uh, and I think this is the same with obviously with the Colts. If you do see that, then you start to see teams that evident. I mean, it's evident that they've quit and you can kind of see them lollygagging on the field and all that kind of stuff. And we have not seen that with the Raiders so far, despite their challenges. 
And then finally, Scott, to wrap up, you mentioned before, you know, we, on Thursday we saw Hunter Renfro go on IR, Darren Waller go on IR. What is this offense going to look like this week? <laughs> uh, good question. I think um, – I mean, heck, if it was me, I'm going to Devonta Adams as much as I can. It doesn't matter because he can beat double teams. He can do all sorts of things. But look for Foster Moreau, uh, the third-year tight end out of LSU. He'll get, you'll see a steady dose of him as well. And then at wide receiver, we'll have to see Matt Collins, who came over from the Dolphins as a free agent, was primarily a special teams player down there, has really done a great job. Last week he had a lot of penalties, which were uncharacteristic of him, but he's been a godsend. The one thing the Raiders don't have on offense is the guy to take the top off the defense, somebody with speed that can get past him. So we'll have to see what they do at that third wide receiver spot uh, and at the slot spot. With, uh, without Hunter Renfro there. But I think you're going to see that, and I think you're going to see a whole lot of Josh Jacobs again, right? Josh Jacobs had a, a great, great season thus far. Uh, his fifth-year option was not renewed or not selected this past offseason by the Raiders, so he's really motivated because it's a contract year for him, and he's just been great. Uh, Sands last week when the Jaguars were able to cut him down a little bit, but, but I, I think you'll see a lot of him come Sunday at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Well, Scott, really do appreciate you coming on behind enemy lines. Fingers crossed we get some sort of, of pulse offensively here. At least get an entertaining game. Thanks so much for uh, for the few minutes here. No, guys, always uh, appreciate uh, helping out other podcasts here on the network. Uh, it'll be a good game, hopefully, and both teams find it and give us an entertaining Sunday. As always, make sure you're downloading, subscribing, and telling your friends about us right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We are available wherever you do get your podcasts. So, George, before we get to our game picks here, one thing I thought was interesting that Scott just mentioned before, he thinks there's no chance, basically, for the most part, that Josh McDaniels gets fired after year number one. Now, obviously, I wonder what Colts fans would think this week because I think – I don't speak for everyone, at least for me. I'm in the camp of I want to lose every game as possible. I think the Colts' attractiveness for potential high coaches is tied to how high they're drafting. So I think 313-1 is the best-case scenario for them. But at the same time, no love lost for Joshua Daniels. I do wonder. I'm not sold, George, that if the Colts beat the Raiders this weekend, I don't know if you're Mark Davis, how you can keep Joshua Daniels around when this was a total circus this week for the Colts. And you have Jeff Saturday literally coming off the street and beating you in a game. How do you justify keeping your job on Tuesday? It would be a hard thing Holy to justify. Cow. But if you put it on the other, if you put the shoe on the other foot, if Frank Reich was still, still here and it was the Raiders who had gone and, and made this change and, and, and brought somebody in, you know, uh, Howie Long is their coach or, or, or whatever. <laughs> uh, trying to think of a great Raider. That's a good one. You know, I feel like you would think that Frank Reich should be fired if he lost the game. I mean, right. that, that's, you know, going, you put myself in the other, in the other shoes. Uh, the Raiders need something to grasp onto. They, they need something positive. Uh, I can't imagine if they lose on Sunday, uh, the heat on him is going to be nuclear. Fry. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see how it's not. Like I said, he's been just as terrible this year. Looking like, I mean, I don't know if it's fair to say this, but it looks like the Colts got lucky. I know Frank Reich was fired in one one playoff game, and the Colts, again, uh, the, the quarterback has really screwed them more than anything else. But it seems like so far when you look back at the five years and how things got under Frank Reich, and you look at least so far the first eight games, how they got in Las Vegas, I think it's fair to say, George, I think the Colts have dodged a bullet. Dodge the bullet. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. And then not just how things have gone in Vegas now, but you know how things went for McDaniel's in Denver and and the Matt Patricia era in Detroit. I mean, there's there's some pretty good evidence that that maybe the Colts uh, got got a little lucky there. Absolutely, and I don't think it's safe to say when they do their next head coaching search officially in the offseason, 
they'll be calling many New England Patriot assistants. Let's just say that for uh, for potential interviews for sure. You, you don't think Steve Belichick's on the list? <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine? That would be the Colts fans. I'm sure would love that. Steve Belichick, come on in as your new head coach. See him on the sidelines chewing his lip and with with the mullet haircut he has. It would go over very, very, very well. I am sure. <laughs> That's a good one, Steve Belichick. I like that, George. Holy smokes. Uh, for Sunday, we are on a two-game winning streak, so watch out. We, we are red hot. Predicted the Commanders beat the Colts. Got that one right. Commit, uh, predicted the, the Patriots beat the Colts. We are two for two. Can we go three for three? In this game, the Raiders at home are six-point favorites. What do you think of this one, George? You know, Scott started giving me some doubts. I mean, I really felt like uh, as we're talking to him, I started getting less confident in my pick because uh, I knew things were bad out there, but I don't think I knew they were quite as, as off the rails as they've been. I knew about the comebacks, you know, that that it, that it happened. Uh, but it sounds like it goes a little bit deeper than just blowing 17-point leads. Uh, that being said, it's unprecedented what's going on here right now. I mean, you look at the Colts on Sunday – You've got a first-time head coach, not a first-year head coach, literally a first-time head coach. You have a first-time offensive play caller, again, doing it for the very first time in the NFL, and you've got a quarterback making his third career NFL start. If that's not, like, the greatest stack deck against a team that I can recall in NFL history, uh, you know, I I, I was going to say I'd love to hear the story of the others, but I really wouldn't because I don't think I would want to know about that. Um, it's incredible. And, and so all of that going against them, this is not a knock on Jeff Saturday. It's not a knock on parks, Frazier, and it's not a knock on Sam Ellinger. It, I just don't know how in that situation you can pull it together on a game day and, and win. I'm going to say Raiders 21 to 10. Okay. This is actually, you mentioned, I'm glad you brought up Scott kind of giving you some doubts about this game. Cause this is in the second week in row. We had Andy Hart on last week. I'm like, Oh my God, the Colts might actually win this game. Like you, you, we're talking about the similarities in the Colts and the Patriots. I was like, holy smokes, these two teams are way similar than I honestly would have thought going into the game. And even kind of the same thing with Scott today, where it's just like, well, the Raiders have a lot of their own issues. And, you know, the, this offense is not as good. The defense stinks. With that said, though, you said it. I just, there's right now this Colt, this Colt team's in too much disarray. And if last week I really was like, I, we picked the Patriots, we're like, oh man, the Colts man could win this game. And they lost 26 to three. I think that's having the same feeling now two weeks in a row, I think it's going to equal a similar result. I'll go Raiders 20 to three or 20 to six, excuse me. And the Colts do double up their point total from last week. Jeff Saturday kind of delivers on his promise of kicking field goals and get two field goals here. But, and the defense too, I expect the defense to play really well. We mentioned Gus Bradley has a lot of familiarity, uh, familiarity with this Raiders offense and what their tendencies are. You're missing Hunter Renfro. You're missing Darren Waller. So two key contributors and two key, uh, key weapons for Derek Carr will not be on the field on Sunday for Las Vegas. With that said, you got Devonta Adams, which is going to be who who is the best player uh, on the field. I would say uh, on any side of the of the uh, other side of the ball there for the Raiders. And I just think that the continuity is going to help them out. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I don't think you'll come out of this game feeling a whole lot better about Joshua Daniels or the direction of the Raiders for sure. I'll go twenty to six. The Colts have just too many self-inflicted wounds. The run game right now is not there. I'm sure Ellinger will give them, you know, the defense a short field for sure. So, even though the Raiders have their own problems, yeah, I'll go twenty to six. But another sloppy, ugly game, George, in which you don't really feel good about either team. That's what I expect to see, and I hope I'm wrong. You know, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to get an entertaining game on on Sunday. And I will say this: you kind of hit on it. This defense has a lot of pride. 
Uh, and yes. it, you know, we haven't talked about it much this week because it's a soap opera and, and football stuff has kind of gone by the side. But Quiddy Pay played a hell of a game on Sunday against the Patriots. He went home. His first time his mom watched him play it was a great story. Uh, got buried underneath everything else that happened after the game. Uh, but, you know, he he's I think he is coming around. He, he's kind of the Alec Pierce of the defense. You feel like, hey, this, this was a pretty good pick. I, I think he's coming along. Maybe he blows things up. Maybe he's the difference on Sunday. I don't know. Uh, but I'll tell you what I'm worried about from Sam Ellinger's side of things. Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, uh, it, it could be feeding time for, for them. And this is going to be a, a battle of the offensive lines, really, because both of them are terrible. I and mean, the Colts, are, as we know, we've seen it through nine games. They've been bad. But the Raiders' offensive lines are awful, too. Like, they they are really bad. They are, you know, they give Derek Carr no time for protection. So, you're right. Like, Quiddy Pay should absolutely kind of build off of that game last weekend. That's really think the only way the Colts do win this game is if you can get at least, you know, one defensive score, maybe two turnovers, a strip sack, something like that. Like, one of those game-changing plays that we kind of saw the Patriots make last week against this team. But it's going to kind of be which offensive line can not even say hold up. It's just like who, who can make fewer errors. And I, I'll still trust the Raiders right now because we've seen the Colts too much. And it's they've, it's the same story every week, you know? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it, it's Groundhog Day. And we talked about it for most of the season. Uh, you know, they're going to do some things well. They're going to shoot themselves in the foot every time they do. The defense is going to hold them in there. And, and a big mistake costs them the game. It, it's a script every week. The drama, there's no shortage of drama, George. The Colts are, are a bad football team at 3-5-1. and one. They've not played very well at all this season. But there, there's not a lot of reason, or I should say, there's not a lot of reason to turn the TV off. A lot of intrigue right now, and definitely all eyes will be on Jeff Saturday and definitely Parks Frazier as well to kind of see how they do in their debuts, in their new roles. It's going to be so, still so weird to see Jeff Saturday and probably what I would assume is like a Colts polo with a headset on. It's going to be... It's going to be fascinating, but definitely a, a lot of reasons to watch and tune in on Sunday. So it should be very exciting to kind of see what we see from Jeff Saturday in his debut. We will be back on Sunday night, give you a live post-game reaction, or just a, a, a media, I should say, post-game reaction to Colts Raiders. So make sure you are downloading and subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. That way, as soon as the episode does drop and it's live, you will get an alert and can listen right away as we give you our takes from Jeff Saturday's head coaching debut. And even during the game, if you want to see what we're saying, make sure you follow us on Twitter. At GM Bremers, where you can find George. At Ryan underscore Hickey, the number three is where you can find yours truly. We'll be back on Sunday night. I hope Colts fans, we say, enjoy the game, but it should be definitely an interesting one for sure. And we'll talk to you Sunday night right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Thank you, Aaron, for hanging in there. I don't think you can hear us, but yeah, and uh... we are having a lot of issues here, but thank you for your patience. Are we just keeping up with the team? You know, we're, we're that's doing, true, man. The, the team has really been a circus this week, and everyone's had issues at some point this week as well. It's kind of rubbing off. Not good. That's, I don't know, man. I just uh, got used to looking at Jeff Saturday like his post career self anyway, because he doesn't.